Hi, I'm Simba Rose. Welcome to the Net Hero Podcast. Now, today is a very special guest, actually. Uh, someone who came and spoke at uh, our conference in the past, was at the heart of government, involved in energy, and is now working in the sector of understanding more what businesses want in terms of getting to net zero. It's my pleasure to be speaking against to Claire Perry O'Neill. Claire, how are you? Thank you. Yeah, very well. Very happy. Uh, very, very happy to be talking to you again. And, you know, stay, staying in my lane, but staying behind the screen rather than <laughs> out there on the on the television having to talk stuff. Exactly. Now, look, for people who, who may, may recall, you know what politics is like, but you were Minister of State for Energy uh, uh, well, two, three years ago, actually. Clean, clean growth, yes. Clean growth. Yeah, Minister of State. That's right. I was in Theresa May's cabinet as the Minister for Energy and Clean Growth until 2019. And then I had a stint leading the COP26, which yeah. I had brought to the UK as the first president designate. And that ended in, uh, in Boris firing me, as happens. Um, <laughs> but I had left politics at that point. So it accelerated my return to what I actually wanted to be doing, which was kind of mobilising as much as possible the world's business leaders and the world's investment community to sensibly really drive this transition. So Claire, one of the things that obviously uh, I always like to talk to people who've left politics, because obviously in politics, we all had uh, the game to play. I, as a journalist, talking to you, you as a minister. Once you'd left, um, what? how would you say, looking back uh, at your time in government, we addressed the issues around net zero? Because obviously Theresa May was the one who committed us to this 2050 yes. target. That was the last big action before she went. Hurrah. But yeah. Um, so I, I actually look back, you know, truthfully, this is absolutely true how I say this now, either way, I'm actually really proud of what we collectively did in, in that period. So from, you know, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that I was responsible for this, but I kind of picked up a, a real tailwind when I became minister, which is, you know, we, we published the clean growth strategy, we had a green finance strategy, we set up the carbon capture and storage task force, we started looking at hydrogen, we put net zero legislation into law, we did the net zero set, uh, sorry, the um, offshore wind set deal. We just really cranked it and we did it with very strong cross-party consensus, which was deliberate. And also we did it because I think we started to turn the narrative from her shirt to opportunity. Because one of the things that struck me when I became the minister was we just spent our lives apologizing for not going further and faster. Like I'm terribly yeah. sorry, Caroline Lucas, we're terribly sorry that you know <laughs> we're not gonna have cut all emissions by 2030. And I said, Jesus, we've done better than any other G7 economy. And yeah, you can debate you know, offshore emissions, but we have actually seriously cut emissions from our energy sector through a combination of clever policy, carbon pricing and kind of you know commitment really and so I feel incredibly lucky and incredibly proud of what we did now but all of this though most of it was was down payments on future activities that we had set up frameworks we passed the legislation the tough bit is then the grinding through delivery and what I think really post my time is that the government lost its way completely um, for all the reasons we won't need to go into through, through some leadership and uh, Brexit. Um, and so all the things we really needed to be doing to be doubling down on those promises have just sort of slightly fallen by the wayside. And now we're getting to the state where we're saying, right, well, carbon capture really matters. We're going to do something there. Hydrogen matters. But, the, but other parts of the world are hugely leapfrogging the UK in terms of their policy and their commitment and their funding. 
And, you know, we, we have to make some decisions about which way we want to do. We can't clearly do everything, but, but we really do need to keep our foot to the pedal on this. And I think we've just basically lost, you know, three good years faffing about in, in political melodrama rather than focusing on delivering what I think was a pretty credible low carbon industrial strategy. I think the thing is, you know, you look at COP, which is now our, our COP, obviously there's been another one since then, but, you know, our COP in 21, and I remember going up to Glasgow, obviously you helped to sort of bring that here and all of that. Yeah. There was a feeling that, you know, right, this is this is a moment, a bit like the Olympics, where we showcase ourselves. Yeah. And I was very disappointed. And I don't know what your feeling was. Yep. But I, I, actually, no, let me, let me caveat that. There, there were two things. I thought there was a hell of a lot of greenwashing, which was just bloody annoying. I thought there was a lot yeah. of, uh, frankly, bullshit talking. But the thing that I loved about COP was meeting people from around the world and meeting yeah. people from different nations and different um, different ways of working and looking at the problem. And that, I thought, was brilliant. And those conversations were great. But my frustration, you know, as an observer was, yeah, there was lots of good stuff talked about what has happened since and this kind well, of quite and, and this is the agony and ecstasy of the cop you know you, you so cop is an extraordinary moment every year where we actually focus on this totally global challenge yeah but it is such a difficult you know ecosystem to corral and also ultimately the un has no enforcement ability with any no. of this stuff nothing no. at cop is legally enforceable and the problem with cop 26 and and I say this, you know, that I wrote the action plan for COP26 largely, which was delivered. You know, we we deplatformed the chief executives of oil and gas companies. They were not allowed. That's insanity. By the way, the, uh, the the leaders of many energy fossil fuel rich nations were welcome. Come to the negotiation tables, Bernard Leamy, not you. And I think that is the kind of bonkersness of it because if you want to lean into the problem everybody has to be involved and it's very interesting going into cop 28 now yeah which is in the uae and i'm you know doing a bit of work around the fringes there you know let's not be shy about the fact that fossil fuels are growth rates are going are increasing that yeah. we're at peak uh coal consumption that uh, many developing nations see a very fossil fuel based pathway going forward. Let's let's work with that reality. The thing that frustrates me most about COP and indeed many of the conversations around this decarbonisation pathway is it's like academic, it's like a pretend school debate. Yes. You know, yeah. we pretend we want to wish away the emissions that we have to deal with. And my view is we just got to deal with the world as we find it and get on with it. And, and by the way, who else you know looks at the keeling curve i'm sure you do we're at record highs they continue to increase the co2 parts per million we haven't got time for this you know niceties we've just got to pull every lever really hard when we come to the the, the fact that we sit globally and and you know i will get to telescope don't worry i, I know we're mm -hmm. going to talk about that but <laughs> looking at it as it is i found this that we have a debate within ourselves, and I think you sort of summed it up a bit naval, naval gaming, where we go, well, we've done this, and we sort of beat ourselves up. Maybe it's the, the British way, the English way, whatever you want to call it. Mm. It's like kind of, well, we haven't done as well as we could, but actually, if you look at the rest of the world, we've done a mm. lot. We've done a lot since 1990. We've done a lot in the last 10 years. Now, that doesn't mean we can't do more. Is yep. there a feeling, do you think, that because of where Europe is particularly and the narrative that we get in this country more than others, perhaps, 
that there's an assumption that the rest of the world doesn't care enough. And yet when I meet people from around the world, of course they care. In fact, they probably care yes. a damn sight more because they're more at risk of climate change, but they need power for their people. They need to bring them out of poverty. And unfortunately, right now, the easiest, most fuel, energy dense material they've got is fossil fuels. So when you go around and as you've done since you've left parliament, how do you see that global picture, which you've just touched on there, and how do we adjust our worldview to actually, you know, because it'd be interesting what people think of us, because we always look at, well, they're not doing enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the constant debate. Why should the UK, which is, you know, 0.3% of global emissions, do stuff while, you know, China's still burning coal and look at America. And the point, and you, and you make the absolutely telling point that, you know, ultimately, um, countries, leaders want to improve prosperity, they want to develop, fossil fuels are very energy intensive, this is good. It doesn't mean, however, that we can't be leaders in figuring out how to deliver solutions to these problems. I mean, if you look at what we did with our energy system, we got coal off the grid almost completely yeah. within eight yeah. years. 40% yeah. of energy production in the UK was coal when I was elected in 2010. It's now down to, you know, two, two to 3%. We're keeping those plants open just for the last kind of, you know, juice yeah. through the winter. We did that through a combination of gas plus renewables plus ETS pricing in, the U in, in Europe which we were then part of, and then also some very specific emissions um, targets that had to be met. That is a lab for what can be done around the world. This is entirely possible. So I think our role in the UK and in other countries is to is to innovate, is to be great at technology, because we have some extra astonishing tech bases, to be good at financial engineering. Remember, CFDs were another great British invention. Yeah now being copied around the world that was a way of turning out demand to make you know to make renewables investable and we can continue to do that but but the other point and this is why i want i do want to bring in terrascope um is i think that if you have good data in all areas then you can start to expand out policies and and, and practices that actually work the challenge we've got is we don't have great data collection and data management, both at a government level, but also at a corporate level. And we haven't made it sustainability data mainstream. So, you know, what do, what do, you know, what do governments, you know, question what governments, are, governments care about electors, right? Four-year <laughs> electoral cycle. Companies tend to care about cash flow. Yeah. And the vision, I think, is to make sustainability progress equivalent in the minds of companies with cash flow around the world. And that's where the Terrascope platform comes in. But I will throw in one other thing that's very interesting because I, I've tried to build a kind of global portfolio. So I, I work with companies in the US, the Far East and in Europe. Um, you know, in the US, we have got this astonishing tailwind of investment and interest in low carbon solutions, not because people are obsessed with climate change, but because they see a massive economic opportunity so and, and, he's, and he's has, pumped billions into it with the yes and so you have yeah. you know climate denying yeah. ranchers in texas <laughs> putting up a ton of wind farms and electric charging things you know what and that's great because because it looks as if america's overall emissions will drop 10 percentage points in 10 years but, but so you don't have to thing, sorry yeah. to you, but that's the funny thing which is i think what people forget actually if you convince people let's go to the base level that they can make money out of it and yeah. do good. What's wrong with yeah. that? What? Nothing. Well, 
but this is a very interesting point because you will get a lot of narratives saying, no, this is really bad. You mustn't monetize this. In fact, there were people wearing T-shirts in Glasgow saying, yeah. end capitalism, save the planet. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That, 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 you know, hello, little chickens, come with me and some of the, see some of the damage that century-planned economies have done over the years to their environment. But, you know, human nature, sadly, res well, human nature responds both to sticks and to carrots. Yeah. And we have been very big on sticks in the UK and Europe and not yeah. really looked for those carrots. And actually, interestingly, political parties now in the UK are really start to, starting to talk about this green growth, clean growth opportunity. Which is in there. Um, Telescope, let's talk a little bit about this. Now, you've been involved yes. with them. Basically, it's a platform, from what I understand, that helps managing scope one, two, and three. But what why, what attracted to you? What do you think that's yeah. so different? So so you're right. So it's, 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 a, it's a climate data platform, um, both emissions measurement and management, but also strategizing. And I was very, very keen to work with them because um, my co-chair at the World Business Council for Sustainable Development of their global board is the chief executive of a company called Olam. His name is Sunny Verhazy. Terrascope yeah. is a spin-out of Olam. Right. And he is one of the most profoundly thoughtful and su successful chief executives I have ever met here. This giant food and agriculture company that has completely embedded sustainability in its entire value chain and in the process realized just how poor emissions measurements are particularly scope three emissions measurements yeah. and how if you do improve that not only do you know your company's better you can actually really start to do much better things up and down the value chain so um so i wanted to have a, a you know wanted to work with i also work by the, by the way with another startup in singapore this uh, a carbon markets exchange cix exchange so i love the singapore ecosystem i was have been incredibly impressed with the sort of the parentage of Olam and and the, the staff they've got. Maya Harry is a, is a tech company superstar, the chief executive. And I just think that this accurate measurement and management of your emissions data is the foundation for action. So and there are other companies in the space. I know it's you know there there are plenty of other tech companies starting out, but I was particularly impressed with the um with the opportunity and the parentage of Terrascope and was delighted to join our advisory council. If you sit there and you look at this whole thing and, you know, uh, nice advert, well done, good one for them. So we, <laughs> we, we'll, we'll put that aside. But in, in, in all seriousness, this is one of the things that we all struggle with because it's like it's like going on a diet, isn't it? Unless you weigh yourself at the beginning and then you weigh yourself throughout, yeah. you're going to know. Um, it seems very complicated at present. You know, we have our own system we've tried to create ourselves at Vigilette Zero, which is a kind of simple carbon platform. But even that, you, you have to really take it. What is missing, in your view, between the science and business? Because business understands facts and figures, targets, you know, the bottom line. Yep. Science can be a little bit more kind of woolly in terms of, although there's yep. absolutes in science, it's what is the measurement of an emission, a, a, a ton of yep. carbon from your business? How are we going to get to that stage, which I think is coming, and before we started recording, you, you sort of agreed, where carbon is equivalent to money, right? Yep. And so businesses start to, but you still got to make, if I ask 10 business leaders, what's a ton of carbon mean? You get 10 different answers. 
Oh, I know. Well, I remember asking as a minister, because I, I had this question, okay, well, help me visualise. Yes, minister, what is it? Yes, right? so, well, the answer was, at what atmospheric pressure minister? Yeah, there you go. And I was like, oh, for Christ's sake, <laughs> what, you know, what would your man, what would your woman on the class of omnibus answer? And the answer is, it's, you know, at normal atmospheric pressures, it's about the size of a, a typical British three-bedroom house, if you can imagine yeah. what you know, yeah. one of the new houses yeah. be. But I can understand that, right? That was, so, so I think a couple of things are missing, and, and you alluded to this. The first is we've made the conversation around emissions reduction a PhD entry level Correct. conversation. So unless you right, so unless you understand you know CO two equivalent PPMs, unless you understand NDCs nationally determined contributions, unless you understand mitigation, yep. it's like there, there are okay. Look at the Keeling curve. We're at 420 parts per million and change might be one one or two less we've got to reduce we've got to remove we've got to adapt and we've got to report and that was a framework that we really developed at the world business council for sustainable development just and by the way pick where you're going to play along there because the other thing the academics tell you is oh no you can't remove carbon until you've reduced by 90 percent well that's like saying i'm going to go to the gym i'm going to lose 10 kg but I can't go to the gym until I've lost nine. No, um, the bath is filling up. You try and turn the tap off and you take the plug out at the same time. And so so when you have these conversations with business leaders, they're almost um, kind of scared into inaction because it's like, well, aha, but that isn't a scientific pathway and blah, blah, blah. And, this and, that. Yeah. and it's like, look, you know, this is this. We understand this. This is a very simple equation. We've just got to re we've got to reduce CO2 additions until they hit zero. And, and all remove at the same time. This is a simple equation. And if we do that, we will be able to stabilize the atmosphere, albeit we know there are tipping points that we may not have predicted. But stop making it so damn complicated. Let people you know, really get to grips with this data measurement and management. And by the way, a lot of the um, reporting requirements we now have are very good. They're very complicated, but it is right that our stock exchanges and our regulators are asking now for climate disclosure. And then let people just have the courage to get on a measure and stop beating people up. This is the other thing that drives me mad. So you look at some of the energy companies and look, I sit on the board of Oxford Petroleum. I, I, I'm proud of that. I think it's a great company and it's leading in the world's um, carbon removal and sequestration technologies. But, you know, let's give some of these companies credit for what they're doing <laughs> rather no, than but this, constantly this is beating everybody yeah. up. No, no. Yeah. But that this is where we sit, where a narrative is, you know, people disagree with me on my podcast because I say things like, I think we need nuclear, I, we need carbon capture, right? We need totally. renewables. I'm not saying that we don't, but there is a narrative which is it's renewables or bust. There's also a narrative that everyone in the oil and gas system is evil and they should all be done away with. And politically, yep. you, if you were still a politician, you'd be very... Uh, nervous about trying to tread the line you're treading now, right? Because you'd have to. Well, 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 no, well, actually, no. I mean, I did chair the North Sea Transition Authority for a bit, which you do as the Energy Minister. And I think it's, you know, and I think we've also just seen the effects through the last winter of what happens if you don't invest in all forms of energy. And also if you actually don't have enough fossil fuels available to meet your current demand, which is not declining. And, and people say, well, that's fine. You can shut off supply 
and demand will follow. Well, hello, have you ever met a voter? I mean, this is not this is nuts. And so interesting, and the reason that a lot of the developing world gets very cross with us is we go around saying, we all hate fossil fuels and we're all going renewable, except we're really not. Um, and you must all do the same. But by the way, have you got any spare gas because we'd like to buy it? And, and so again, we're very schizophrenic about this. So what I would do, if I were still minister, is I would say, okay, let's explore exploration in the North Sea, but let's think about a carbon removal obligation. And there's some great work going on at Oxford and elsewhere. If you're going to be exploring, should we not be thinking about you actually take responsibility for those emissions? And we can debate scope three and we get back to measurement. And then rather than creating a whole new business model for CCS to put it back, it's the responsibility of the producers to put it back. And so, so again, so now again, that would be you know this is outrageous and how and you're preserving, you're preserving yeah, exactly. You know what? What I was going to say there but, you go. There'll there be are protests things. outside your house. Okay, so we shut down the North Sea oil and gas industry. Does the you know what happens to the rest of the world? Well, we've got North Sea, we've got oil and gas exploration happening off Africa, new fields being opened up off Latin America. You know, it doesn't go away. So let's stop pretending and let's deal with the world as we find it. And of course, I'd love to get to what I think, you know, a, a renewable, look, if in the 1980s we'd gone gas plus CCS, we got, sorry, gas plus nuclear, we'd got coal off the grid earlier yeah. and we'd increase renewables. I, I mean, our emissions would be still under 400 parts per million. We would have a much, much better outcome. So while we've been arguing with each other for the last 30 years, coal production and coal, coal emissions have gone through the roof. Yeah. That doesn't feel like a great outcome. For Before we end, for, for businesses, there is a real funny flight. In fact, actually, this, I don't know if you've read this, but there was a really funny article I saw uh, about Gogglebox. And it was about, mm -hmm. and they showed... Uh, and the Gogglebox audience looking at the IPCC report, you know, the recent one that just came out, and talking yes. about the, the, the levels of basically mortal danger we're all in. And there was a disconnect. And there was a really nice little analysis, Peter. I can't remember where, it, where I read it, but it basically said the message of fear and deprivation and destruction doesn't work well in the human psyche, right? That's right. Because, and, and this is the funny thing. Uh, and, you know, I, I worry you know, as a man of my age, middle age, where I hear that younger people, one of the number one things they worry about climate change, I find that terrifying that they're that, that scared of it because there is a science to it all and there's facts out there and then there's conjecture and, and social media. Yes. Businesses are often held to account now by what is in social media rather than facts and figures. So before we end, how do we address this issue, which is, like you say, a CEO is trying to do the right thing. Their business is trying to do it. But there is a pressure that they're still seen as being bad, right? Yeah. Well, I think because so. Of and I, because of what you're doing. But ultimately, look, and this sort of slightly gets back to, 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 to the, you know, the Terrascope sort of value proposition, which is if you're a chief executive, you're paid to make decisions, to lead your company, to steward shareholder investments, and, and hopefully to realise that that, that organism can now be a force for good in the world. But actually, and this is what's really interesting, you know, most people I meet today, young people, you know, my kids, want to be entrepreneurs, want to be yeah. part of the capitalist system. Yeah. They want to do it for good. They want to know what they're doing. Deliver that, now that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so there is a sense of how do you, how do you pick the, how do you understand what you're doing? And, and this again is where, 
having a data management platform that helps you understand what you're doing is so important. One that you know you can trust, one that you can use to inspire people in the organization. And then how do you pick the big decisions and be really courageous about delivering them? So for me, the vision is that you, and again, this is, this happens, you go, into, you, see, you go into a company and you can ask anybody in that organization, what is, you know, what, what is your company doing? And they will tell you, and again, you can talk to, talk to some of the businesses that are using this product, they will understand what their emissions are. By the way, not just carbon, water management, removing child labor from the supply chain. You know, the best companies kind of pick their yeah. sustainability challenges but start with emissions often because that's where the kind of real focus is but everybody understands where you are on that journey so not only can you reduce your emissions you can inspire people while you're doing it and and that to me is the holy grail because too often emissions will sit in a kind of separate part of the market information system the board might look at them yeah. once or twice a year it's not part of the dna and you want these changes and this information and this data to be part of the corporate dna and i think that's exciting actually claire you've rabbited on brilliantly as ever I love it. Uh, <laughs> talk no, about this stuff you. forever as you know <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I think there's a lot of fair points you've made. There'll be people who disagree, but that's what democracy is about, which is great. Absolutely. Uh, Claire Perry O'Neill, thank you so much for joining us on the Hero podcast. And thank you for your time making a, a really good case for why I think businesses do care. And I think that's what we're trying to do with Future Net Zero. We've got to help people to make the right decisions. Really good to catch up with Claire there. And uh, isn't it amazing how politicians become freer once they're no longer politicians. Uh, before I go, the Big Zero Show. Now, you must get your tickets. I can tell you now that 800 tickets have gone. 800 have gone. There are only 1,500 left. So, book it. Get your free ticket now. Particularly if you live in the West Midlands area, if you're listening to us and you're based in Coventry or Birmingham, Leicester, definitely get yourselves down there. Coventry City Council... Uh, are going to be exhibiting, talking about what they're doing around Net Zero. We've got the Mayor of the West Midlands, Andy Street. We've got a Premier League footballer. I can't reveal who right now, but there'll be someone there, I can now tell you. Uh, we've got the boss of Good Energy. We're hoping that either Chris Skidmore or the Energy Secretary, Grant Shapps, will be there. So, plenty to see, plenty to do, lots of steps for you to take. Book your ticket now either on thebigzeroshow.com or go to Future Net Zero and log in there. My thanks for Rob's production this week and I'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. FutureNetZero.com. Better business, better planet.